Hey, this is Britt Vargas, and I am the High School Ministry Associate Director at Calvary Community Church here in Westlake Village, California. And this is our HSM podcast. Thank you so much for checking us out today. I hope this encourages and inspires you. Here's today's message. Well, well, well. Good evening. Hope you guys are doing great. If you're meeting for the first time, my name is Aaron Kaduma, and I serve here as the high school pastor. We are beginning a new series called Apologetics. We are putting our faith in the hot seat. We want you guys essentially at the end of this three-week series to understand why you believe what you believe as a believer. It's a lot of believing. But also that you're able to explain the hope you have in Jesus. Again, one, to understand why, and then two, to be able to explain why you believe, how you believe the hope you have in Jesus. And so that's where we're going for the next few weeks. We'll also have some videos that people like, for those who are going to YA, Pastor Sarah uh, from YA has a video up as well. I've done one, Brits done one, some of our leaders are going to do some more to answer some of those hard questions about our faith. And so if you are a senior specifically, this is a great space for you to understand, wrestle with these things, because once you jump into your college phase, you're going to find a lot more of people having questions about faith, and we want to equip you guys to be able to stand once you jump into that space. And so if you guys are note takers, the first few uh, parts of this are going to be good for you to take notes. If you have a phone and uh, writing is not your deal, take, take a snapshot. I believe there's this app called the Notes app if you have an iPhone where you can actually take a picture and scan and have all those notes jump onto your phone. It's amazing. And you guys might know it already, but I was just like, oh my gosh, this is crazy. So uh, just to kick it off, allow me just to uh, pray real quick. I know we've prayed before, but I want to just allow the Lord Holy Spirit again to move in this space. Uh, through prayer, and then I'll kick off. Lord, I thank you for this evening. We thank you that you're going to move mightily in this space as we trust you with our lives. We thank you that as we just mull over these truths about who you are, you're equipping your saints to hear your truth and be able to understand it and explain it to other people. So we thank you, and just may we pray. Everybody said, amen. amen. We're going to kill that fan if you can real quick. What's happening is that we're beginning to talk about apologetics. Now, the word apologetics comes from the Greek word apologia. And that doesn't mean to give an apology. Rather, it means to make a defense. Literally, what we're doing is making a defense for the faith. To understand why we believe what we believe and being able to share that with people with clarity. All right? And so that's where we're going today, the next few weeks, to understand what it means to be apologetic. Now, essentially, you could argue that all scripture reading, everything we do as we share the gospel with people is apologetics, but this is specific. We're being able to defend the truth against lies and share them with accuracy. And the world around us really is asking three questions. One, who am I? Two, where do I fit in? And three, why do we exist? These are three questions that we ask ourselves as believers. One, who am I? Two, where do I fit in? And three, why do I exist? What is my purpose? The whole world is asking this question. Even your bios on Instagram or Facebook you're dating yourself like me, or Tumblr, that's really old. Like all these things ask us this question. Now in my case, I'll show you how I defined my purpose, who I was, and where do I fit in. See, I was born in Oxnard, grew up in Uganda to an African-American mom and an African father who was born in Uganda. So I have this mix where I'm kind of like, Sometimes I feel more African-American. Sometimes I feel more African. Sometimes I don't fit in anywhere. It's just a weird space. But 
For my Instagram, for Clary, what did I say? I said, my name is Aaron Kajumba. I threw some leaves up there with a little tea cup or coffee cup, depending on how your emojis arrange it in your keyboard. And then I said that I was a husband to one wife. I called myself a pastor, a cinematographer, and that I would shoot for food and preach for free. So that's my bio, right? That's what I wrote about myself. And I'm, even though when the world asked me those questions, that's how I responded. I had a defense. I had something to give, to give as an answer of who I am. Now, I'm saying that through this series, we want to equip you to be more than clear in your bios, okay? I'm not trying to teach you how to set up your bio, okay? What I'm trying to teach you to do is to be able to understand who you are, where do you fit in, and what is your purpose according to Jesus. In 1 Peter 3, 15 through 16, this is going to be our key scripture for this evening. So if you're trying to circle stuff, write stuff down, if you've been around for a long time or for a short time, the way when I'm teaching is I'll underline things in the Bible as I've read them. So if you're seeing stuff like that, it's underlined, underline it, circle it. The way I ended up reading my Bible more so is that when my dad would scream, like would get his Bible and he would highlight stuff, I literally got his Bible right, right here on the left, got my Bible on the right that my mom bought me with my name in there, Aaron Kajumba, gold letter, King James Version, and I literally just went through and highlighted every single thing that his Bible had, and I was like, oh my gosh, so down the line, I'm reading this word and realizing, wow, this is amazing stuff. Did I realize this was my dad? I don't know, but it was amazing. So, all I'm trying to say is still from your pastor, it's allowed. Here we go, 1 Peter 3, 15 through 16, it says, but in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Okay, one more time. With gentleness and respect. Keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. He says, as you live a life as a Christian, as you live a life of a believer, being kind, being gentle, having grace, being empathetic, like we said, it's okay not to be okay, working through your pain and yet still glorifying God through it, he says, when you're asked why do you believe, why you believe, why are you so happy all the time? Like this happened to you, how do you bounce back? How are you able to contain all these things and still worship God? Give an answer in gentleness and respect. And so what I'm going to tell you is you have to be prepared. Be prepared for this. One, to have an answer because we have hope. And like everyone else in this world, we have hope. It says that right there. Because we have hope, we can be clear and be kind and be able to share these truths in love. See, the unbelieving world does not have hope. They're looking for hope. They're looking for purpose. And so we have to be prepared because we have to have the hope that Jesus gives us and share that with clarity too. Be prepared because not everyone is ready for the truth. These are just statements I want you guys to know. Be aware that as you share these things and have these conversations with people, not everyone is ready for this truth. To quote a great poet of our day, you can't handle the truth. I think that was uh, the homie Simone, big guy. Matzah movies, The Rock, and then he'd add Rudy Poo at the end, right? Like, this is how it is. People do not want the truth. They can't handle the truth. They do not want the truth. In fact, in John 3, 19 through 21, the Bible speaks of judgment and tells us of our natural disposition, where we all stand as believers. Even now as a Christian, you're fighting against your sin nature, your brokenness, your hurt. And it says this about us as people. John 3, 19 through 21 
And the judgment is based on this fact. This is how God has seen the world and measured it and found us wanting. That God's light came into the world. Christ came into the world. But people, says this. Again, what's that word there? What did, what did people do? It starts with that. They did what? They loved. They loved the darkness. Not just liked it. This is a difference between I like you then I love you, all right? It says these people loved the darkness more than light for their actions were all evil. And all who do evil hate the light and refuse to go near it for, their, for fear their sins will be exposed. But those who do what is right come to the light so others can see that they are doing what God wants. We do not want truth. We fight against the light, you don't have to teach a three-year-old to say no to their parents or to smack their mom in the face. Like, you don't have to tell kids to do stuff like that, right? This is where we are. Like, essentially, we are always living for ourselves. We are people who are loving of darkness. And so, naturally, people are going to push back against this truth. And this, this separation, this inclination for sin is going to separate them from God and also is going to, like from the beginning with Adam and Eve, their sin separated them from God. See, like I've said this many times before, sin actually, one, strips you of your confidence, so now you can't feel confidence come before God, and two, sin itself is violent and separates good friends. So you must be prepared to have that as a reality that not everyone's going to accept the truth. Another preparation for you to have in your heart is this. Truth itself is not subjective. Okay? It's not subjective. There's no your truth and my truth and our truth and his truth and an African truth and an American truth and a white man's truth. It doesn't exist that way. Truth is not subjective. It is objective. For truth to be a thing, there has to be someone to be wrong. There has to be a standard, right? There has to be a standard. Like, no one treats normal life this way. I would not walk into a bank with confidence and say, bank teller, Bankroll me my $1 million in my account. Now, you're looking at me, obviously you know I do not have a million dollars. But I, I can walk into the bank and say, my truth is I got a million bucks. And I could rage and shout and make all this noise. And the bank teller's role is to calmly tell me, because they have a job that they've been hired to do, that they've been assigned to do, that they've been called to do. And their job is to tell me, sir, Mr. Walu Kajumba is fine. Mr. Kajumba. As much as you believe that you have this money in your account, you do not have a million dollars. You only have 10 bucks. You can apply for a loan, but we don't have a million dollars for you. That is not the reality. See, the truth is always objective. It is not subjective. Our role is like that bank teller where we are to be a people who are respectful, who are gentle, who are calm in sharing the truth of the gospel with other people. That's how we are to respond we have to be prepared to be gentle and to be respectful, like it says in 1 Peter 3, 15 through 16. Again, it says that we are to be gentle and respectful. We have to be prepared to be a people of mercy as we do this as well. Because this may be the only opportunity that people hear this truth. So what I'm saying is don't go against people and start banging tables. No, it's true. No, don't. Be a people of mercy. Again, Jude 22 tells us that be merciful to those who doubt. Be patient. Be kind. Be merciful with people. We see that even Jesus himself was an apologist, and he has his cousin. Now, we're talking about a guy called John the Baptist. This is a guy, okay, who was Holy Spirit baptized in his womb. Like, think about that. Like, Holy Spirit baptized in the womb. Then he grows up, 
He's preparing his, his whole role in his life, prophesied from the day before, before he was born, years before, was to be in the desert and say, the Messiah is coming. Repent for the kingdom of God is here. He sees Jesus and he says, behold, the lamb who was slain before the foundation of the world. He, he calls him out. And then guess what happens next? The heavens open. Are we, are we tracking? Are we together? The heavens open. This is wild. Heavens open. Not like, oh, but heavens are still open. And then the Holy Spirit descends like a dove on top of Jesus, and then a voice from heaven. Whose voice? Not, not, not Barney, not, not the McDonald's dude, like, like not, not, not anyone from any commercial you've ever seen. No, this is the voice of God. And it says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. So this is John the Baptist, and he baptizes Jesus right there. And then John the Baptist himself, after having this whole experience, is doubting. He doubts. He asks, is this the Messiah? Are you the one? He's in jail wondering, or should I wait for another person? What does Jesus do? Jesus sees John the Baptist. He doesn't rebuke him like, bro, you were there. Like, you baptized me. What do you mean? No, 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 no. He's gentle. He's kind. And he lays out evidence for who he is. I put some scriptures up there because you guys can take pictures and hold on to those and read them. Like, he just gives him gentle, patient, respectful answer and evidences of who he was. He doesn't shout. He just says, hey, guess what? The blind can see. The lame are walking. Like, go, go show him these evidences of who, uh, who I am. And see, if Jesus points to others, points others to evidence, so should we as well. We are people who are like, to, to be like Jesus. See, the theme of our church is to do what? To live in love like? Jesus. Thank you. And just like Jesus, we are people who are with gentleness and respectfulness, in the midst of, of pain, share the gospel with clarity. All right. That was our intro. You guys ready for the meat of the message? Praise God. African pastor. Here we go. All right. So here are our, our three apologetic points, right, to believe in God. So this is for you. You're having a conversation with your homies chilling, and they're like, bro, you're a Christian. You're whack. They're like, you're not wrong. I am whack. But God has saved me. And they're like, why do you believe what you believe? This is that kind of a conversation. Bro, you are dumb for believing what you believe. You're like, well, what do you believe? And you begin to explain to them why you believe what you believe. And so the first thing you're going to talk about is this. Now, you're talking about the Bible. How many of you guys have Bibles? You have Bibles? On your phones? Bibles on your like, actual physical Bibles? If you have a physical Bible, just wave it real quick. All right, that's awesome, right? So, not that you're more holy than anyone else, but you have a physical Bible, amen, you can mark, and it's good stuff, right? But the first place or conversation you're going to have is the Bible. You might be like, that's weird. That's a place that has subjective truth. That's not true. That's not true. It's not a subjective truth. Again, we just discussed how truth is objective. It cuts across all the boundaries. So let's put the Bible up against all these other books. See, the Bible itself has more empirical evidence for its authenticity than any other like book, any other written document on the earth to date. More than anything else, it has the most, like of all the years that it's been written, we have all these truths. And so you start with the Bible. 
And so compared to, for example, a writing by Julius Caesar, which people have made movies about and written about and written songs about and poems about, like he has at least 251 copies that bear evidence of his existence, and they were written at least for 950 years after, the, after they were wrote. Like, this is, this is interesting. Like, from, from when he was existing to when these things were written, it's like a, a space of 950 years. It's crazy. But there's only 251. And yet, all of us study Roman history, and we know and acknowledge it. But that's how many numbers? What's the number? 250? Thank you. 251. And then Herodias has some writings. And we believe he existed. And he had 109 copies. That's even less. 251. Homer. Archaeologists have... Archaeologists. I promise I speak English. Have found 1,800 plus manuscripts and copies of the works of Homer. All right? At least that's a little bit more. And we can say, okay, that's more. That makes sense, right? And we accept that he exists. So what you're doing literally is listing out what the world has accounted for and said, these are legit documents. We believe them because of their number and when they were written and all this, all this good stuff. And now the Old Testament, for example, has so many documents. For example, we'll start with the Old Testament with the Dead Sea Scrolls, where in, in this little cave in Israel, they found these scrolls. A little boy was walking around, with, a little sheep, sheep shepherd boy was walking around and happened to stumble into this, uh, this little cave and find all these documents that prove the Old Testament was valid. And you see that Egypt was a real place, which I think we can acknowledge that Egypt happened and was a real place, and that if you go and watch hieroglyphics in Egypt, you can see that there were actual slaves in Egypt. Like history is telling that the Old Testament is accurate, and our New Testament in and of itself has over 5,000 manuscripts that bear evidence that it existed and it was real, and they were written between 200 and 300 years later. Okay, so for, for, for clarity, if you have... 251 copies only, and they're written 950 years after you were existed? That's a, just a big gap, right? It's a big gap. You'd be like, who wrote that stuff? Did they remember accurately? 950? That's a long time. But the Bible has over 5,000 that existed within 100 and 300 years, meaning these people were there. They saw it. They, they experienced Jesus. They saw the world being turned upside down. In fact, we have historians who were Jewish, let's say people who did not want the Messiah, who acknowledged the existence of a man called Jesus. And if the scriptures don't pass a test for trustworthiness, no records from that time can pass at all. If you don't accept over 5,000 written within 300 years, nothing else, nothing else makes sense. Let's throw away all our history books, burn down history, and do something else. Because it's not real. But if these tests for the world stand and you match them up against the scriptures of God, which have so many evidences, then this Bible is real. And you and I have to make a decision today about who God is and how we're supposed to live. So you start with the Bible. Then the second argument is this, one of creation, all right? I'm giving only three. The second is one of creation, right? Creation. Now it says this in Romans 1, 20 through 23, that all of us have seen the evidence of who God is in nature, 
But what we do is we suppress the truth in unrighteousness. This is what the scripture says. We see God and we say, heck no, I don't want that. That's not who I want to serve. I'll read it for you. It says, for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature. The fact that the sun goes up and down at the same time on the equator or for you on this side of the, of, of the, atm- of the atmosphere of our globe. When the time changes, you're aware of it. And it's faithful to itself, speaks of, its, of God's faithfulness. All these things exist like mothers giving birth to babies and taking care of animals and how they like genuine love one for another. All these things are evidences of a God who also loves and cares for. It says all these things have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made so they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. All I said is this, that the earth bears evidence of who God is. Okay? The evidence of God's existence stands in creation. A famous person who we might know, Stephen Hawking. How many of you guys have heard of Stephen Hawking? Right? He's a pretty big dude in this space, right? Stephen Hawking said he himself about the universe. He says, the universe and time itself had a beginning in the Big Bang. He acknowledges that there is a beginning of this universe. Now, we would say that beginning, that Big Bang was God. Now, however you want to say that, when it says that God spoke, I believe when God spoke, it could mean bang. <laughs> there you go. That's what happened. He was just like, pew, pew, pew. And then, like, everything happened, right? Or it could be literal, like he spoke. Again, these, are, these, these writings in Genesis are, are not of our culture. Those six days could be literal. They could, all right? So I want you guys to engage in that because people will be like, it can't be six days. Be like, bruh. These are not we're, not, we're not like living in those days. You really know how many, okay, so acknowledge that and rest with that. That what happens is even Stephen Hawking believes that there is a beginning and there is a, a starting point for space, time, and matter. The question is who or what is the cause of this space, time, and matter? It has to come from somewhere. It has to come from somewhere. And we believe that because there is a beginning of this space, time, and matter, the beginning, the creator of this space, time, and matter to have all this authority must himself be spaceless, timeless, immaterial, powerful, and personal. Okay? He has to be one, spaceless, because from where? Like, where is this? He has to have the power to make it from something. None of you guys have ever got a watch, shook it up for a thousand years, even a day. I give you an hour. I'll give you my watch right now. Casio, 10 bucks of Amazon, right? Shake it up. Break it up. Shake it up for an hour, 10 hours, 1,000 years. Build a machine. I dare you that out of that watch that there comes a lizard or a person like you who steps on a Lego and has like nerve endings that go all the way up to your brain and you're like, ow. Like, no, come on. It doesn't make any sense for that to happen. Like, we are too uniquely put together for that to be a thing. So this God himself is spaceless, timeless, immaterial, powerful, and personal. Because gravity doesn't make choices, okay? Gravity just does stuff. But our God has made choices and made us in his image. And we also make, like he has created us so uniquely and personally. We believe that this person, this God, because you can say that God could be Buddha. It could be Krishna. It could be Allah. 
But we believe that this person, this God, is Jesus Christ. And we believe that this Jesus Christ, this God-man, rose from the dead. And I tend to believe people who rise from the dead. Okay? That's just my rule of thumb. Right? If you conquer death in the grave, I'm like, I believe you. We believe that this is the God because the evidences alone for Jesus, which we'll actually jump into next week, are so immense, so many, that we have to believe that the person who authors this world himself is our God. All right. There's this rule called fine-tuning. We're still on creation, right? Because this is the easiest one. The easiest one, fine-tuning, right, on creation. The way our earth is built, our universe is built, is so insane. How many of you guys have ever got, like, the app on your phone to look up at the stars? It's such a beautiful, like, thing to see, even though it's digital, and you still want to cry. Like, it's amazing, right? Because you look up into the sky, and you see the sun, and you see the moon, and you see all these different things. But there's this interesting, interesting thing called the Goldilocks, like, effects, right? Where, if you guys have read or heard of the three little bears, there was porridge that was what? Hot, too hot. There was too cold, and there was a porridge that was just what? Just right. It's just in that right space, not too hot, not too cold, not too salty, not too full of sugar. It's perfect. It's like fries from fill in the blank. Like, it's just perfect, right? The position of our earth spinning on its axis at however many miles through the galaxy. Like, we're moving at so many miles through the galaxy, Right? And then our distance from the sun. If we were closer to the sun, we would burn up. So sunscreen, not going to help you. If we were more to the other side, we would freeze up. We have the, the, the planet Jupiter that is like a big suction that begins to suck all the debris from the atmosphere from our Milky Way. And there's multiple Milky Ways. Think about that. Like this, this planet is acting as a protection for us. And if that planet moved a millimeter away or did not exist, all of us gone. We're just gone. It's called fine-tuning. It is too unique, too perfect to say there is no designer. Again, y'all stepped on Legos before. (laughs) All those emotions don't come from something random. There is a designer who created all things personally for us to show who he was. In fact, to quote Hoyle, he says, someone has been monkeying with the physics. Like someone has built this. It can't just be random. And if there's a God who is so intimate, so intentional, that he puts all these things for us to find, okay? Because these things are not just there for us to exist, but for us to actually find them. Then when you see it, you're like, oh my gosh. It's like when you come back home, and then you're like, oh my gosh. You guys bought me the new Nike, da-da-da-da-da, like, because there's always many. Like, you're like, whoa. And you're like, you guys do love me. You found it. You're like, you are caring for me. He leaves crumbs and evidences of who he is for us to acknowledge his existence, but also to acknowledge his love. This God is personal with us. It says in Proverbs 25, 2 through 3, it is God's privilege to conceal things and the king's privilege to discover them. It's a privilege for us to find these things about God. Again, one, our first argument is this. One, the Bible. There's so many evidences against the world's history that it exists. Two, if the Bible is real and can stand the test of time, 
even more than your documents, then that's a good beginning, starting place. Because our whole faith is based on the word of God. In fact, Jesus himself is the living word too. Creation is so fine-tuned, so special that it can't be a mistake. It has been created by a designer. That designer is God and he's personal. Three, we have the moral argument. Okay, the moral argument. This is our third point, right? The moral argument. Now, if there is even one wrong, then there is a standard. Can we agree to that? If you can agree that sleeping with babies is wrong, then there's a standard. If you don't believe, then it's just a difference of opinion. It's my truth versus your truth. I killed a man because I wanted to. It's not wrong. It's my opinion versus your opinion. You might believe, oh, guess what? Masturbation is the, like, that's my jam. It's all right. Check it out. Check it out. Hey, based on scripture, what we're seeing right here, your opinion versus my opinion. Okay? But if you can agree that there is one wrong thing, if you believe that cutting someone's throat is wrong or going to war against a nation because of their oil is wrong or just, like, just racism is a wrong thing, or if someone stole your cookie, a cookie, please, something as small as that is wrong, then there's a standard. When we believe that that standard is God. See, if God doesn't exist, then there's no true standard for good. There's no true standard for good. It's just a matter of opinion. But if you believe that there's a, an, a, an objective truth, an objective standard, an objective judgment, then you believe in God. You believe in a reason to exist. You believe in a purpose. So those are three points. One, again, that the Bible exists. And because it exists, we have to make a decision about this God who is personal and powerful. Two, that our creation is fine-tuned for us to see God and experience his love. Three, the fact that there is a moral argument proves that God has a standard and he is our standard. Again, Proverbs 25 Two through three, I'm going to ask the worship team to come up, is this. It says again, it is God's privilege. And God himself has decided to hide some things from us. Can you imagine? Some things are not given to us. It says, it is God's privilege. It's his right. It's his power to hide some things from us. And the king's privilege to discover them. Again, you have a joy as you find these things. As you find out that the lover of your soul has prepped your beginning from before beginning from before time began he set aside you and given you purpose and identity and then to find that this same god says this no one can comprehend the height of heaven the depth of the earth or all that goes one goes on in the king's mind all this to say is this no one can truly understand the depth of who god is but God has given us an opportunity as a privilege to search him still. And what he's left for us in Deuteronomy 29, 29 says this specifically. What he has left for us is this story. Everything about our earth, everything about our being, everything about your single identity. See, put out your thumb. All of you have a thumb, please. Put out your thumb. Your thumbprint is so unique that they have a thing called the biometric. When you're getting your ID, license, passport, whatever, 
It's so unique that there is no one on the earth who has the same thumbprint as you. This is how technical our God is. So unique. So when you see those details, you can say, God, you're real, you're powerful, you're loving, you're caring, you exist. And it's beyond just those details. He's specifically pointing to one thing. 29, 29 of Deuteronomy says this. The Lord our God has secrets known to no one. We are not accountable for them, but we and our children are accountable forever for all that he has revealed in us. See, some things he hasn't revealed to us, but things that he has revealed to us, we're accountable for. Why? So that we may be able to obey all the terms of these instructions. What God has clearly shown to us in our first argument in the Bible is that there is a story of our earth. That all these crumbs he's left for us, all these evidences he's left for us, are to say, one, God, you exist, and two, you love me. And three, I have to make a decision to either worship you or to, like Romans says, chapter one, to suppress the truth in unrighteousness. I hope that you hear these three arguments and you understand, one, you're to explain these truths with gentleness, with respect, because again, as you have these comments and the conversations with people, this may be their only time to hear the truth of God's love through those moments. See, the theme of the Bible is of a loving and powerful God redeeming his people. That's the story of the Bible, that we have a loving, powerful, personal God who redeems his people. And all these things are not just head knowledge. No, they're for us to find him and to trust him and to love him. I'm going to ask you to stand with me as we pray. Because like I said, as you have these conversations with people, and those are just three points. There's so many more points to go off. But these are quick softballs to have to equip you guys. That you're able to have these truths in your heart, have them in your pocket, have them in your mind, so you can share them in gentleness with others so they may see Jesus, see his power, and see his love. Lord, I thank you for my brothers and sisters. We thank you for how you've uniquely created our earth, created our being, created consciousness itself for us to be able to acknowledge your power, to acknowledge your creativity, and to acknowledge that you are God who is personal with us. We ask, Lord, as we've heard these things, Lord, let them be internalized, Lord God, and help us again go out and to love our neighbors, our people well, expressing the truth about this God who lives for us. He's our friend and not against us. Bless my brothers and sisters. In Jesus' name, everybody said. Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this, don't forget to subscribe and also check out past episodes. For more content from Calvary HSM or to connect with us, visit us on Instagram at CalvaryHSM805. Go live and love like Jesus.